In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, our gospel reading this morning contains quite a turn in the story. Peter, at first, comes across as the one who has been given great insight because he's able to answer Jesus' question, who do you say that I am? The people out there, the crowds who follow Jesus, the enemies who conspire against him, they all have their own theories. Right, maybe it's John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Maybe it's Elijah. Maybe he's one of the prophets. Maybe he's just a man. Maybe he's a demon. Maybe he's a troublemaker. There were all kinds of opinions about who Jesus was. But Peter had it right. He says, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. Peter is saying that he knows Jesus is the one who has been the hope of Israel. Jesus is the one who will reign on the throne of King David forever. Jesus is the one who has come to change the future of Israel forever. Peter gets it right. But in the very same breath, he gets it wrong. Jesus has been teaching the disciples about what awaits him. Suffering, the cross, death, resurrection. And in the same kind of brashness that allowed Peter to answer the question of Jesus, he pulls aside Jesus and he tells him, no, 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 Jesus, this is not going to happen to you. We wouldn't allow that. Peter tries to correct Jesus. Peter goes from one moment confessing that Jesus is the Christ to trying to explain to Jesus what it means to be the Christ. Peter thinks he's the expert on the matter, not Jesus. And so in return, Jesus rebukes Peter in front of the whole crowd. He rebukes him so harshly that he calls him Satan. But didn't Peter have the right answer? What happened? What is it that Peter gets so wrong? Well, it's not just that Peter hasn't been understanding the depth of Jesus' teaching, or that he doesn't understand how the future is going to unfold. It's that Peter has his mind set in the wrong place. In fact, Jesus tells him, you have set your mind not on divine things, but on human things. There is a distinction that we must make in order to faithfully follow Jesus. We need to put our mind on divine things, not on human things. It's said that to be a scientist, a philosopher, a critical thinker, one has to be able to make distinctions. Uh, an easy example of this might be if you ask someone to explain what makes a miniature poodle a dog and not a cat, right? A poodle has four legs. It's furry. It's domesticated. It'll sit on your lap. Cats have all of that. Cats do all of that. But you become someone who understands dogs and cats when you can explain why, in fact, the poodle's not a cat. Its teeth are different, has different personality, it doesn't meow, and so on. Well, when it comes to more important questions, philosophers, theologians might be asked to explain why a certain action is good and not bad. Why does the world exist rather than not exist? What's the difference between belief and unbelief? Well, in our gospel this week, Jesus makes an important distinction for us. The things of God and the things of man. Our translation has divine things, which is fine, but the Greek literally says the things of God. So Jesus sets up a firm distinction for us. There are things of God and there are things of men. So it might be wise to listen to Jesus so we know how to discern the difference. And because Jesus is in fact the Son of God, 
he shows us the things of God, both in his teaching and in his living. He is God, so if we want to know the things of God, we have to start with Jesus. And this is what Peter got right in his confession. Right? You are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. But now Peter is telling Jesus that the Son of God isn't going to suffer and die. That's not what the Messiah has come to do. A Christ cannot do that. And then he says, well, we're never going to let that happen to you, Jesus. Right? And Peter imagines that being of God means a kind of glory that humans crave. He imagines that godly things, things like being the Messiah, being the Christ, that these things are about wealth. They're about fame and comfort and power and authority. He has a view of God that Martin Luther calls a theology of glory. Right? Luther says that this kind of theology prefers works to suffering, glory to the cross, strength to weakness, wisdom to folly. This is to say that such a theology relies more on one's own abilities, one's, one's own strength, rather than trusting in God. And so with such a perspective, a person can start to believe that they can make themselves righteous. If only they have enough good things to do, donate enough to charity, come to church enough, avoid offending others, and so on, then they'll be all good. Well, the problem with such thinking is that it takes us away from God because it leads us to trusting ourselves or trusting this world over trusting God himself. The theology imagines that God is only present in the things that the world values. God's present only in good health. God's followers are rich. God's followers have no problems. God wouldn't bother with the lowly, the poor, the, 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 the lowly of this world. That, however, is wrong. Because that thinking is the same trap that Peter fell into. The truth is, as Jesus shows us, that the things of God do not begin with the wisdom and strength of men, but they begin at the cross. Our clearest picture of God is given to us by Christ, who gives up his life for the sake of the world. It is, as St. Paul says, foolishness to those who believe themselves to be wise. The power of God comes not in the might of armies, it doesn't come in the power of money, but the power of God comes to us in the form of a cross. God makes his power and his presence known through the sacrifice of emptying ourselves of power, prestige, in order to love one another. Then Christ commands his followers to take up their crosses, not because he wants them to suffer, rather he wants them to find the joy of his presence, the joy that we only find when we give up our lives to love him and to love our neighbor. We become more closely aligned with God when we give up ourselves. Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously writes, when Christ calls a man, he calls him to come and die. Sometimes that's literal. You might know the story of Maximilian Kolbe, who was a Catholic priest. He was sent to the Nazi concentration camp at Auschwitz. And while there, he volunteered to take the place of a cellmate who was about to be killed. Literally, he died for the sake of his neighbor. But less dramatically, we can think of a parent who gives up hours of sleep at night to take care of a sick child. We can think of a parent who works a difficult job and long hours they don't always enjoy to make sure that their family has all that they need. 
We can think of a child who is kind to another child that has no friends. And the examples are endless. But this is who God has made us to be, because God has made us in his image. And God's image is seen as Christ is nailed to the cross. St. Paul tells us that to set our mind on the things of God is to have that same mind of Christ, who gave up everything to become a slave, a slave nailed to the cross. And when Christ was made his lowest, he actually was made his highest. And so it is for us. When we deny ourselves and give ourselves to God and to our neighbor, that's when we're closest to God. When we put the interest of others before us, God becomes most real to us. When we look foolish to the world, this is when Christ will give us our deepest peace. When we come to rely on human things, we're not living the full goodness and joy that Christ offers us. And so we always must ask ourselves, is my mind set on human things or on the things of God? Make the distinction. Be aware of that distinction. And the Holy Spirit will help you make those distinctions when you immerse yourself in the word of God, when you come to the sacrament, when you come to worship, when you pray. Pray that he will give you the understanding to know the things of God and to have the courage to set your mind on them. And to know the things of God starts with taking up your cross. It starts with denying yourself. That's a hard message. And imagine how hard it was for those first disciples. They were expecting a Christ of all glory. A Christ who would bring riches. A Christ who would bring complete peace. And then Christ tells them to take up their cross. To them, the cross meant only one thing. Execution death, humiliation. The cross was a death reserved for the worst of criminals. And Jesus tells them, embrace this. And he's telling you also, pick up your cross. Not the gold necklace around your neck, not the pretty image hanging on your wall, but the willingness to die yourself and to die for God. And the good news is that there's no cross that you can take up in this world that Christ has not already taken up himself. There's no temptation, no suffering, no illness, no pain, no denial that Christ does not know personally. So be comforted in knowing that whatever cross you're called to take up, Christ himself is taking it up with you. And when you take up that cross, you will never be closer to God. Amen.